Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Well, welcome to part two of our introduction to the Book of Numbers. Last week, um, I picked up the story so far. And today, we're just going to do a little overview of the Book of Numbers and pick up some images, some shadows and types and prophetic pictures of, of Jesus. You know, God has given us the whole Bible, hasn't he? And it's true, like some books of the Bible are easier to read than others. And we may find that we naturally gravitate more to the New Testament, or if we go to the Old Testament, we're more in the Psalms. But actually, God wants us to engage with the word in its fullness, because every book of the Bible is relevant. Every book of the Bible carries inspired wisdom and instruction. Every part of the Bible contains references and images that show us who God is, teach us more about Jesus. It helps us and it directs us and it instructs us and it gives us clarity on how to live. And it, although the Old Testament could be neglected, actually it is a, a gold mine of revelation. It's all God breathed. The word of God stands forever. You know, it's, the amazing truth is that when we read numbers, as we will be over these coming uh, weeks and months, that we'll be reading about something that happened three and a half thousand years ago to people 2,000 miles away. But what we read about will be inspired and it will help us um, in our time today. It'll help us to live in the UK in 2020. It'll help us to live in Kenya in 2020. It'll help us live wherever we are in the world. Whatever time we live in, it's always relevant. It's always inspired. Numbers is a book of choices and decisions. You know, time and again, God's people have to choose. They have to choose whether to obey or to disobey God. They have to choose whether to trust God's promises or, or not trust them, to look forward to what God's calling them to, or to start looking back, to be inspired by God's leaders or to rebel against them, to uh, overcome by faith or be overcome by fear. And so for us today in 2020, um, in the midst of a pandemic, even if the pandemic wasn't happening, there's so much for us to glean and to learn together. You know, the title numbers might not be the most inspiring book title, unless maybe you're an accountant or a mathematician, but actually uh, it's far from dry and boring. The Hebrew word for the book is Bamidbar, which means uh, in the wilderness. And the book roughly covers about 40 years of Israel's wandering in the wilderness. You know, the, the journey they take should have taken about two weeks but instead they wander for 40 years. And that delay is because a whole generation has tragically chosen to disobey God. And therefore, because of that refusal to trust God, they die in the wilderness. Today, I'm gonna to use as a portion of this, about six or seven minutes of animation from the Bible Project. The Bible Project is a great organization. They do lots of different books of the Bible in animated form, do overviews and, and very helpful resources. Check it out online. Um, there's another overview that's currently available online as well that's more up to date and, and is very good, but I'm gonna use from their overview series, their overview of the book of Numbers. So check that out. And as we go through it, um, we'll see some pictures of Christ. And afterwards, I'd like to just pick up on three particular images or descriptions or prophetic pictures of Jesus that I just would love for us to focus on together today. You know, in Luke 24, 27, it's the story of the road to Emmaus. Jesus has died, he's resurrected. And all of a sudden he's walking on the, along this road with two forlorn, downcast disciples who think that Jesus is dead, all their hopes are gone. And then it tells us that Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. 
You know, Jesus went through the Old Testament and said, that's where I appear, that's where I am, that's a picture of me, that was referring to me, that's a prophetic declaration of what I am, of what I do, my ministry and my life. We have all of these images and, and it's it, our Old Testament is packed with these things and there are lots of them in numbers. We're going to take three, but there are many more that we can look at over the coming weeks and months. So I'm going to uh, now switch us to the Bible Project video where you'll be able to follow the story as I narrate over the top of it. Okay, so here goes. So, numbers in a nutshell. It begins a year after Israel's exodus and escape from Egypt. They're still at Mount Sinai where God made a covenant with them and although they broke this covenant, God is gracious and he makes a way for his holy presence to be with them in the tabernacle which has now been built. It's time for Israel to start to move north through the wilderness to the land that God promised to give their ancestors Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Numbers reads like a travelogue packed with interesting stories. It's made up of five sections, three camps and two journeys. Starting at Mount Sinai, they head north through the wilderness to Paran, and then they trek on through Zin before looping back and up to this day in Moab. The book ends with Israel to the east of the River Jordan. Numbers kicks off with the census being taken in preparation of the journey ahead. The Levites, the priestly tribe, are to camp around the tabernacle where God's presence rests. And all of the tribes are organized and given clear instruction on where they're to camp, starting with Judah. God's presence is to be at the very heart and center of everything. God reminds them of their need to be pure. He wants his people to represent him in the world. He gives them laws to ensure that they are a holy camp with clean bodies and clean relationships and clean lives. God then tells Aaron and his sons to bless Israel. With the Ark of the Covenant front and center, God's glory cloud leads them out like a flock of sheep, guiding them safely through the wilderness. However, in just a few days, the people start to complain about food and water, and they even harp back to how good things were in Egypt. To make things worse, Moses' own brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam, begin to grumble against him in front of the people. When they arrive apparent, God instructs Moses to send 12 men, one from each tribe, to spy out the land. Their mission, should they accept it, is to scout out Canaan and bring back important details about the land and the people who live there. On their return, 10 of the spies insist the Canaanites are too powerful to defeat. But two faithful spies, Joshua and Caleb, assure them that God can help them succeed. They ignore Caleb and Joshua. The people are overcome by fear. There is mutiny in the camp and a call to return to Egypt. All of Israel choose to rebel against God's plan. God is understandably angry and Moses intercedes for them in prayer. He asks God to remember his covenant. And God does, but he also gives the people what they want. They have chosen not to enter the promised land. And as a result, an entire generation over the age of 20 are condemned to wander and die in the wilderness. But God is faithful to his covenant because the next generation, along with Joshua and Caleb, will enter the land. Rebellion is rife when Korah and his followers question the authority of God's appointed leaders. They are not willing to submit to Moses and Aaron as God's delegated authority and so God literally brings an earth-shattering judgment on them. The people then set off from Paran and start to complain yet again. This time they're thirsty. 
God tells Moses to speak to the rock for water to pour out. But we find that rebellion and disobedience even extends to Moses, who in his anger misrepresents God to the people. He doesn't speak as God tells him to. Instead, he hits the rock twice in frustration and shouts at the people, calling them rebels. God has to bring a judgment against Moses' sin. And sadly, as a result of his rebellion, he too is disqualified from entering the land. It's tragic, and I'm sure we'll come back to this over the next few months, but it does prove that God does not have favorites. In Numbers 21, we read God judging Israel for their complaining again, and this time he sends venomous snakes into the camp. The people cry out to Moses and and ask him to help them. And so he prays, and God tells him to make a bronze serpent. All who look on the serpent will be healed from lethal snake bites. It might seem like a weird symbol for Moses to make, but actually the snake lifted on a pole carries a powerful image of God's wrath and the curse of sin. As we look more closely, we see that God's judgment becomes a source of life to those who will look to God for healing. It's time for Israel to move again. And in chapters 22 to 36, they settle on the plains of Moab, where the Moabite king and his people are terrified when they see the size of the Israelite camp. The king sends for a pagan sorcerer called Balaam and pays him to curse the nation of Israel. Three different times Balaam tries to curse them but can only say what God wants him to say and instead he blesses them over and over again. The blessing that God had given to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15 still stands 400 years later. Balaam finally prophesies about a mighty future king who will conquer all of his enemies. And this echoes Jacob's prophecy of a ruler from the tribe of Judah in Genesis 49. In just five chapters, we've had the rock, the bronze serpent, the coming king. It's all about Jesus. As we look back, we see that time and again, God's people are guilty of rebellion and face God's judgment, but they also receive God's mercy. After all, he feeds them, waters them, provides for them, heals and blesses and even leads them back to the land. This balance is highlighted again in chapter 25, where while God is blessing them, what are they doing? They're complaining and sinning in the camp. This story of numbers is repeated throughout the Bible. Israel rebels, God remains faithful. It's retold time and again. The message is picked up by Old Testament prophets like Ezekiel, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, by poets in the Psalms, and ultimately by the New Testament apostles. And there's an important lesson for us today, a warning for us to take note of in our everyday lives. It's that yes, God is faithful, but we still have to choose to obey and trust him. The book ends with a census of the next generation who are preparing to enter the land with their new leader, Joshua. They overcome the Midianites in their first battle and divide the plunder among the tribes. But now two and a half tribes ask to remain and settle in the land to the east of the Jordan River. The rest of the tribes are then told where to settle and live in Canaan. The book ends with Israel ready to cross the Jordan and Moses giving his final words of advice. And that, my friends, is Numbers in a Nutshell. So let's have a look at three pictures. The rock, the bronze serpent, and Balaam's prophecy. I want to take those three and and, and look at how we can see Christ in those three pictures, how we can see Jesus in them. The first one is the rock. And I just want to say this, Jesus is our steadfast source. 
Can you say that with me? He's our steadfast source. And by source, I don't mean like HP source. I mean the source, the origin. He's our steadfast origin. In Exodus 17 verse 6, we read um, about how God causes water to come from the rock for the very first time when they're in the wilderness, the people cry out to God. There's a rock at Mount Sinai and God tells Moses to strike the rock and water will gush out from it. And sure enough, that's what happens. Gallon upon gallon of water gushes out as Moses strikes the rock. Now we're in Numbers 20 and they've travelled to Kadesh and again the people are crying out for water and it's at this point that God takes Moses and says in front of all the people I want you to speak to the rock and water will come forth. But what does Moses do? In his anger and frustration he hits the rock twice with his staff and he misrepresents God to the people. The people looked at Moses, they saw God's representative and he was misrepresenting God to the people. God said speak, Moses hits the rock twice and he shouts, calls them rebellious. However, God is faithful and water still flows from the rock. But if we go into the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul talks about this wilderness story, the people of Israel in the wilderness. He said that they were led by pillars of fire and pillars of cloud, that they were led through the Red Sea on dry land, that they ate spiritual food. That was the manna that they ate from heaven and that they drank the same spiritual water. And in verse four, he says this, listen to this. They drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them and that rock was Christ. Christ is the rock. You know, when we think of rocks, we might think of strength or security or solidity. Well, Jesus is all of those things. He's steadfast. He's reliable. He's with us. Kids in, in, in Hot Rock, think about what that rock represents. It's about something that's secure and solid. The house that's built on the rock. Jesus is the rock. And you know, as we face uncertain times and we've been in uncertain times and we'll continue to go through uncertain times, we might at times feel like we're having a wobble. We might feel insecure, but these are the days more than ever to rely on Jesus. Jesus is our rock and we can come to him with our burdens, with our weariness, with our concerns and our fears, and we can draw on him and we can lean on him and we can rest on him and we can know him, trust him, drink from him and, and as Jesus says in John 7 37 anybody that comes to him and drinks will out of them will flow rivers of living water not only will he fill us but he'll fill us to overflowing so that the life of his spirit will overflow in us and from us I've known times in my own life when I felt overwhelmed when I felt stressed when I felt um, insecure and worried and and in those times I've suddenly realized I need to come to Jesus I need to draw on him. I need to give him my burdens, the weights, my worries, lay them down before him. Ask him to fill me and to help me and to surrender those things to him. And, and without fail, I can say time and again, I've known as I've come out of that time, a lightness and a freshness and the life of the spirit has kind of been born afresh in me. That even in the wilderness, he is our steadfast source. He's also our sacrificial saviour. In uh, Numbers 21, we see the story of the bronze serpent. 
that God has brought judgment on his people for complaining and moaning. And he sends these fiery serpents, venomous serpents that bite the people. God's, it's God's judgment against his people. And they cry out to Moses and God instructs Moses to build, to make this bronze serpent and put it up on a pole and lift it up. And it will become a source of healing and salvation for them. Why, why make this strange image? Well, as we think back, we know that the serpent represents the kind of the origins of the curse. In the, in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis 3, it's, it's the serpent that becomes the most cursed of all the animals. It's, it's the one that was cursed and brought the curse into the earth, into the human experience in the way that he tempted Adam and Eve. It's kind of the ultimate picture of the curse. And then later on, if we read in Deuteronomy 21 to 22, God gives an instruction that if anybody has um, committed a crime that's worthy of death, if they're executed by being hung on a tree, the body mustn't remain on the tree overnight. It must be taken down on the day of the execution and that body buried because God says this, anyone who is hung on a tree is cursed by God. It's like the bronze serpent on a pole represents this ultimate picture of the curse. That which is cursed is cursed. And the New Testament helps us to understand more about this prophetic picture about how Jesus is this sacrificial saviour. In, in Galatians 3, 13, Paul writes and he says, Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. Christ has rescued us from that curse. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He's referring back to that verse in Deuteronomy. Cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. Jesus was hung on a tree. The cross was a tree. The pole represents a tree. And in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it even says that God who made Christ, who never sinned, made him to become sin itself so that we could be made right through Christ. Can we see how the picture of the curse of sin being dealt with on the cross is powerfully portrayed by the image of a serpent hung on a tree. The son of God was cursed. He was despised. He was rejected. He took our curse on himself and he hung on the cross for us. He hung on the cross for you and he hung on the cross for me. That's why even before he died on the cross, Jesus is talking with this teacher of the law called Nicodemus. And in John 3 verse 14 to 17, Jesus says about himself that it's a prophetic picture of him, that as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent on a pole, in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And then he goes on to say, For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son. In the same way, even today, you know, the serpent on a pole is a, a picture of medicine and of healing. Just want to say this if you don't know God, you can know him today by putting your trust in Jesus. Please get in touch with us. If we can help you, discover what it means to have a relationship with God, who Jesus really is. If you want to ask us questions about that, we would love to hear from you. And there are many people in the church. Just ask a friend if you know they're part of Living Rock Church or any church. Ask them about who Jesus is and why he died on the cross. They'd love to tell you about that. I also want to say this. If you feel like sin is getting the better of you in your life or if you feel like you're afraid of death or or even if you feel you might be cursed, these are the times when we need to look to Jesus there have been times in my own life, again, when I know I've made mistakes and, I, I, and as a result, I felt far away from God. And it's in those times the Holy Spirit has graciously led me back 
to Jesus, to look to Jesus, to not look to myself, to not even look to others, but to look to Jesus and recognize I can't sort myself out. It's like an ongoing lesson. I have to put my faith and my trust in Jesus. And, and as I recognize this, that he's my sacrificial savior, that I can come into everything then that God has for me. I'm, I'm saved by grace. That's why I'm forgiven. That's why I can be free. He's paid the penalty for our sin. He's taken the curse of sin on himself so that we can be healed and saved and restored. So we can find that uh, he's our steadfast uh, source. He's our sacrificial savior the rock and the bronze serpent. And then he's uh, our supreme sovereign. In Numbers 24, Balaam, the strange sorcerer, prophesies. Um, and he can only prophesy what God tells him. And he prophesies in Numbers 24 about a star rising up, a scepter in the distant future who will rise from Jacob and Israel. It's interesting he mentions Jacob and Israel because all of a sudden we're taken back to Genesis where we know that Jacob himself was renamed Israel by God. And there's a point in Genesis 49 when the same Jacob who's renamed Israel prophesies, he blesses his sons. And it's his sons who become the fathers of the tribes of Israel. Listen to what he says to Judah in, in verses 9 and 10 of Genesis 49. He says, Judah, my son, is a young lion. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honour. Hmm. He's seeing the lion of the tribe of Judah. The one that we read about in Revelation 5 is this heavenly description of these elders proclaiming, here he is, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the one who has won the ultimate victory, the one who has won the ultimate victory. And Jacob, like Balaam, sees something into the distant future. He sees this picture of a scepter of ultimate rule and authority, a scepter that destroys his enemies because of his rule and his sovereignty and his power that, that we see picked up in Revelation 19, 15. John has this revelatory picture of Jesus as the, the great commander in chief who's swaying this iron rod, this iron scepter and he's crushing all of his enemies. The ultimate enemy being sin and death and Satan and all of them being brought down under his feet. Jesus is the King of Kings. Jesus is the Lord of Lords. He's overcome every single enemy, every enemy being made a footstool for his feet. And again, I've known times in my life when I've not put Jesus first. I've been caught up in other things that are going on, other plans, other priorities, my own ideas and um, my own desires even. And I've neglected uh, my relationship with Jesus and, and I've not, he's not been Lord in, in, in certain decisions that I've made or certain phases and stages of my life. And, and again, the spirit has graciously led me back to him. And I found such a joy, a genuine joy in making him Lord again, in surrendering everything to him and knowing his lordship and his rule in my life. He is the greatest and the best king we could hope to worship, to honour. You know, that, that statement to be the king is like, it's again, even today, it's this ultimate description of the person who's the, the greatest the ultimate, the most triumphant, <laughs> that's Jesus. So important that we recognise him in our lives today as, as our king. He's our king and we've been brought into his glorious kingdom. And so in that kingdom, we can enjoy and experience righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
So I hope you've enjoyed uh, the overview of numbers, a little bit of gospel encounters, pictures and images of, of Jesus in numbers. I want to encourage you to go back through this book and just ask the Holy Spirit to highlight and prompt times and places and pictures where he, you can see Jesus, see who he is, see what he's done, see the things that are fulfilled in the gospel, see the things that are fulfilled in the, the letters of the apostles and, and in Revelation and see where they're fulfilled in our own lives today. Jesus, we just say, you are awesome. You are mighty. We thank you that you are the eternal one. And we declare, Jesus, that you are our king, that you are our saviour and that you are our source, that you are supreme, that you, we can find hope in you, life in you, sustenance in you. All that we need, Lord Jesus, is found in you and we thank you that we found you. We thank you that you've called us and we just declare that we will follow you and serve you for your glory. Amen. Be really blessed. Really keep digging into this book. I uh, look forward to talking about some of these things in our life groups and in Hot Rock and in youth. Uh, just have a fantastic week. Be really, really blessed. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.